Good morning, church. We are in the midst of our By Faith series, which started with a verse that said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we've been journeying together, accepting an invitation to enter a world where eyes see the invisible, ears hear the inaudible, and minds get to conceive the inconceivable. And that is the walk of faith. And today we're going to look at an individual by the name of Abraham that's in the Bible. And you're going to find three things about him. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I usually don't do this, but I want to tell you ahead of time so we can anticipate it. Number one is that his faith is a faith that embraces uncertainty. Number two, his faith is a faith that is willing to imagine the impossible and number three, that his faith is a faith, faith that trusts God's intentions, no matter what. Embraces uncertainty, imagines the impossible, trusts God's intention. So let's take that first one, embraces uncertainty. When we're talking about faith, we don't always think about the fact that, that part of faith is about embracing uncertainty. It's about realizing that, hey, I'm not 100% sure but I trust God, and I know he is 100% sure. And so it says in Hebrews, it says, By faith, Abraham heard God's call. He heard God's call by, by faith. He heard God's call to travel to a place he would one day receive as an inheritance. And he obeyed not knowing where God's call would take him. Think about that. One day, Abraham hears God's call to travel to a place that perhaps one day he would get to inherit, and he obeys not knowing where he's going. The apostle in the book of Hebrews is actually taking this from a story in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible that we have. And the passage in Genesis goes like this. God told Abraham. This is before he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, Now, just before I continue, one of the things that I love to do when I read my Bible is I say, okay, let me put myself in this person's shoes. And I want you to imagine being Abraham. I want you to imagine being Sarah. I want you to imagine this moment when Abraham thinks he hears God's voice. 
He doesn't see God. It just says that he hears God's voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. And I will make a great, you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. God's saying that to you this morning. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I'll curse. And all the families on the earth, all of the families on the earth, all of the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left just as God said. You may remember this story. It was actually in a book that later was popularized in the movie some years ago. Uh, I don't normally get tricked by movies. I, I can anticipate what's happening way in advance, but I have to admit, I got tricked by this one. It was about a guy who was hailed as one of the most brilliant minds in the 20th century. He was a genius who developed a thesis on the dynamic of human conflict that would revolutionize economic theory, and then he would eventually win the Nobel Prize. Before he was out of his 20s, he was a distinguished professor at MIT. But at the height of his career, John Nash suffered a nervous breakdown. In fact, there's a point where he interrupts a lecture somebody is giving to announce that he was on the cover of Life magazine disguised as the Pope. At another time, he claimed the foreign government were communicating with him through the media. He began to kind of lose it, and you begin to see this in the movie. Now, the way the movie per se, per, portrays it is that he's talking to people, and he's, and, but about halfway through the movie, and I hate to, you know, spoiler alert here, but halfway through the movie, it's an old movie, by now you should have watched it. Halfway through the movie, you begin to realize that these people are not real. They're just all in his mind. We see the characters and hear the voices that exist only in his head, unconnected to reality. They played on his darkest fear, and when he listened to them, they destroyed his relationship, they distorted his perception, made him obsessive, they made him irrational, and they made him terrified. But what makes John Nash's story so remarkable is that he was able to learn over time the art of distinguishing the voices, the art of discernment without any medications. He was diagnosed as schizophrenic, and yet he decided, I will not take any medication because the medication makes me lose focus, I've just got to learn how to decide which voices are real and which ones are not. So he learned to test the voices, to find out which ones were false, which ones were true. And Nash speaks at one point in the film about how 
in a way, his battle is the battle that we all have in all of us. And these are his words. He says, I'm not so different from you, he says to his friends. We all hear voices. We have to decide which ones we are going to listen to. There are some of you in here today that have heard many voices in your life. And you need to decide which ones you're willing to listen to. The passage we read this morning says, By faith Abraham heard God's call. Think about that for a second. Is your communion with God consistent enough that you would recognize his voice? How does he know it's God? Especially because God is telling him, leave your family, leave everything behind. you got to go do this. I mean, most of us will be sitting there going, wait a minute. This cannot be God. We don't read about the sleepless nights. The Bible is just quickly telling us the story. We don't read about the turmoil of having to leave his friends and family behind. We don't read about the turmoil of, of leaving the comfort of stability, the familiar surroundings, those things, this routine that he knows. We don't read, even read about him trying to convince Sarah. Every time I've had to take a call somewhere, and I felt like, oh no, God is calling me somewhere, the biggest fear I had was, i got to talk to Nancy about this. And is she going to get it? And it was always amazing to me that when I was convinced that this was a call from God, for example, coming here, leaving everything we know from the East Coast to come to the West here, we had never been here before, leaving all that behind to come here. I'm thinking Nancy is never going to go for this. And, 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 but when I'm convinced, she's convinced. And it's not because I'm convinced. It's because God's doing the same work in her that he's doing in me. Isn't that awesome? So I got I to gotta believe that when Abraham went to, to Sarah and said, I heard the voice of God. And God is telling us to go, to leave. I, I've got to believe that Sarah said, I believe you. I've been, I've been feeling some uneasiness here. And they had to leave this place called Ur. And the community. Can you imagine? Just, just stay with me on this one. A little poetic freedom here. Can you imagine the moment that He's packing. And the neighbor is like, Abraham, what are you doing? I'm, I'm packing. You're packing. That's right. We're moving. Well, why? Why in the world would you move? <laughs> why would you want to leave Ur? Oh, because God has made it clear to me that I should go. I heard him. Uh, you've been talking to God? Yeah, yeah, he told me to leave. I must go. Well, where are you going? I have no idea. He didn't tell me. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. 
You believe you heard God tell you to go somewhere, but you don't even know where you're going? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Can you imagine this exchange, this, this moment? I know what my neighbor would have said. Wow. <laughs> Serge. All I can say is, wow. You know, man, and I've heard my neighbors say this to me. I've heard friends say this to me 40 years ago when I decided to leave Ur. Some of us have been a little worried about the way you've been acting lately. Up to now, it's just been a little strange, but, but this, Serge, Abraham, this takes you to a whole other level of delusion. It's like, it's like everyone's saying you're really off the deep end. And maybe that's what God is looking for in us. Maybe when we're talking about living by faith is we're talking about deep end faith. Maybe God is tired of us being in shallow water. Maybe God is waiting for us to do some deep end stuff. But we're so comfortable and so safe in the shallow water. Some of you right now, I know, because I've spoken to some of you. I meet with some of you. I have met with some of you through the months and years. And I know some of you right now or at some point were convinced that God was telling you to do something. Something that others may think unwise. Something that others would think to be foolish. Deep end stuff. And some of you have fought that voice and said, there is no way on earth that this is God. Some of you have delayed the voice and said, there's no way on earth that this is God talking to me. But I want you to live by faith today. And I want you to test that voice. And in fact, more important than anything else is to have the kind of communion with God where you are convinced beyond of a shadow of a doubt that it is the voice of God. And that is really where the key is, isn't it? If our connection with God is strong, I mean really strong, every time we obey the voice of God, however unreasonable it may seem, every time we embrace uncertainty, going not knowing, every time we release the grip on comfort and routine for the sake of obeying God, we honor him with our faith. God is waiting for us to do that. So I don't know where you are right now, but maybe God is inviting you to go not knowing. Maybe God is inviting you to take some steps and embrace uncertainty. I could tell you this, in my life, every time I've done that, and I was convinced it was God's voice, it's never gone wrong for me. It's always been unbelievable. It's been the experience of the adventure of a lifetime. There were times when I thought there is no way. I, in fact, I could tell you when I was called to come here, my first reaction was, yeah, don't hold your breath. There's no way on earth. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. I'm an East Coast guy. I don't even know what... I, West Coast, I mean, what do you, it's Washington State, it's snowing over there, man. I'm not doing that. I'm trying to get away from the snow. 
But it, the voice of God was so obvious that I knew that if I, if I said no to the voice of God in that moment, uh, that I would have made a huge mistake. So faith embraces uncertainty. Are you with me on this? The second thing is faith is a faith, the faith that Abraham had is a faith that imagines the impossible. It's really interesting. Uh, the apostle in the 11th chapter of Hebrews spends more time with Abraham than anybody else. Because there were certain things that Abraham did through his life that exhibited this type of faith. Number one was this idea that he was able and willing to go not knowing. The second thing is this other one, which is really interesting. It says here, uh, by faith, Abraham's wife Sarah became fertile long after menopause. Catch this, those of you who know the story well. This is what the apostle is saying in Hebrews. Long after menopause because she believed God would be faithful to his promise. So from this man, who was almost at death's door, God birthed forth descendants as many as the stars in the sky and as impossible to count as the sands of the shore. It's interesting to me that the apostle in the book of Hebrews mentions nothing about Sarah and Abraham's disbelief during this. Because if you go back to the story, you know that that there was some disbelief here, right? I mean, after reading their self-help book, God Helps Those Who Help Themselves, they decided that if God was going to give them a children, it would have to be through another method altogether. And so they concocted this whole idea with, 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 with their servant. And, you know, it was Sarah's suggestion. And Abram's right in there. Sure, okay, let's do whatever we got to do. You know, he's 90 years old. He doesn't. What does he know, you know? And, and sure enough, the servant gets pregnant. And now, now there's this mess. And, and God's going, what are you doing? That's not what I said would happen. How many of us live our days, our lives, every day thinking, well, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. I got to do something here too, right? I mean, I, I know what God promised. I just got to get creative and resourceful enough to make it happen. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. And so uh, this is how it goes. It says, Abraham and Sarah were old by this time. And in case you don't get it, it's very old. I love the way the Bible emphasizes certain things. Did you catch that? They were like really old. Ancient. Sarah was far past the age of having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant? <laughs> With this old man of a husband? And God said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Saying me, have a baby, an old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? 
Is anything too hard for God? I mean, what is it about us that we limit God? It's bad enough we limit ourselves, but then we limit God. And he says, I'll be back about this time next year, and Sarah will have a baby. And Sarah lied. None of this is in Hebrews. Sarah lied, and she said, I didn't laugh. No, no, it was, that's, not, that's, not, that's not true. Because she was afraid. But God said, yes, you did. I tell you, don't argue with God on this stuff. Can I just? I've been there. I've done, I bought the T-shirt, man. It doesn't work, man. Trust me. Yes, you did. You laughed. And in fact, when they have the child, Isaac in Hebrew means he laughs. So if you name your son Isaac, that's what it means. It's almost like a sarcastic thing. Is it possible that one day we will discover God's perspective about our lives. A perspective where he sees our lives lived out by faith. Where we look back on our lives and all we see is failure, but he looks back on our lives and all he sees is victories. Although my life is riddled with mistakes, somehow... Some way, God, if I'm willing to let him do this, he will count that as righteousness. Think about that. Listen to what it says here in uh, Genesis 15. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. All right, one, two, three. No, Abram, it's a rhetorical question. That's how many descendants you will have. And listen to what it says. And Abraham, what? Believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. I love that. When was the last time that God took you outside to count the stars? When was the last time that you've experienced God saying to you, see what I can do? See, that's, that is what it really means to be a Christian. It means to live a life so amazing that if God was not in it, you would fail. It means to live a life so unbelievable, such faith, embracing uncertainty, believing the impossible, that, 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 that God says, yes, that's, that's it right there. That's righteous. I don't care about anything else you've done. You're righteous in my eyes. And God is waiting for us to take a hold of the risk factor and do some stuff. And perhaps, who knows, if we move out in faith, God will do something great. Because I believe, and this is what's going to be on my tombstone, I'm not talking about the pizza, God is bigger than the obvious. He is more powerful than the predictable, and he loves to give impossibility an inferiority complex. Right? 
That's the God I serve. I don't know about you, but that's the God I serve. That's the God that Abraham served. God is bigger than the obvious. He is more powerful than the predictable. And he loves to give impossibility, an inferiority complex. So Abraham had faith that embraced uncertainty, faith that imagined the impossible, and then finally faith that trusts God's intentions no matter what. A little later, the Bible says in Hebrews, by faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this after he had already been told, your descendants shall come from Isaac. The apostle says Abraham figured that it was, if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's exactly what happened when he received Isaac back alive from off the altar. Let me give you the story. It's unbelievable. It is amazing. But what's happening here is that while years go by and, and Isaac now is a young 12, 13-year-old Abraham is continually connecting with God and communion with God, and he hears God's voice one more time. And God says to him, I want you to do something. I want you to take Isaac, your only son Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Time out. Are you not amazed that Abraham was able to recognize that this was definitely God? Because I could tell you what I would have done. I would have been, that's not God. Oh, no. That's, that's too much Taco Bell last night is what it is. <laughs> that's not God. No, no, no. Because the Bible tells me that the only ones who sacrifice humans are heathens. This is not according to the word of God. This cannot be God. And yet, Abraham's faith was so amazing. Think about this. His connection with God was so amazing that even in this, he's like, it's God. This is my son. He's going to do something amazing out of this. I don't know, but I know his intentions are right. And so he takes, he probably doesn't even wake up Sarah on this one. He takes Isaac. He takes some servants, he takes a donkey, and they make their way to the sacrifice. It comes to a point where he leaves the servants there and the donkey there, he just takes the wood, he takes the fire, and they start making their way up to the mountain. And Isaac, out of all people, says, hey dad, I was just thinking, normally when we have these moments, we have fire, which we have. We have wood, which we have, and then we have like a lamb, which we don't have. And Abraham says, it's okay, Isaac. God will provide for himself a lamb as a sacrifice. And the next thing we know is this 12-year-old boy who could easily outrun this 99-year-old man 
is tied up on the altar. We talk about the faith of Abraham. What about the faith of Isaac? It's okay, Dad. Do what you got to do. And I know, I know you hear God. And at the very precise moment, the Bible tells us that when Abraham goes to take the knife and plunge it into Isaac, God stops him. And he says, I know now that you would not withhold even your only son from me. That is faith. That is faith. Faith in my intentions that are always good. And then at that moment, he sees a ram caught in the thick and the other side, and, he's, and he gets it and sacrifices it instead of Isaac. You're not there because Jesus is there. You catching this? Over and over and over through the Bible, the theme is the same. You're not there because Jesus is there. Now, nestled in the midst of these verses is the key to this type of faith. The type of faith that, number one, embraces uncertainty. Number two, imagines the impossible. And number three, three, trusts God's intention. In the book of Hebrews, there's, there's, it's almost as if the apostle here takes a little break from the story. And he wants to make a point that he makes later on, again, by the way. It's a point that we often miss because it's kind of nestled in the, in the middle of the story. Let me take you there. He says, all these, meaning Noah and, 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 and Abraham and, and Abel and all these that I'm going to be mentioning afterwards, and all these, Jacob and Isaac, all these, he says, I have mentioned, died in faith without receiving the full promises. Although they saw the fulfillment as though from a distance. Don't miss this. If you missed the rest, the whole sermon, just don't miss this part. This is the best part right here. These people, the apostle says, accepted and confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on this earth because people who speak like this make it plain that they are still seeking a homeland. In other words, what he's saying is it was so easy for, 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 for Abraham to leave the land of Ur. It was so easy for Sergio to leave the land of rock and roll. It was so easy for some of you to leave the land that you left to become a believer because you were looking for a better place. And this is the key. The key is, are you comfortable in what you're doing now, in the way you're living, or are you ready to pull out and do something uncomfortable? Are you ready to move forward and serve and accept and love? Are you willing to fulfill your purpose that God has given you as a believer and to, to move into uncertainty, to embrace uncertainty, to imagine the impossible? And to trust God's intention for your life. He continues by saying, it, if it was only a bit of nostalgia for a time and a place they left behind, they certainly might have returned around and returned. Turned around and returned. But listen to what he says. 
But such saints as these look forward to a far better place. A heavenly country. So God is not ashamed. Are you catching this? I mean, there is just no better compliment. God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Man, that's what I want people to say, you know. God was not ashamed to call Sergio his friend. God was not ashamed to call the Richland Church his servants. God was not ashamed. I mean, what are we afraid of? Why is it that we are willing to trade in our later hosen for a kilt because Ancestry.com told me I am no longer German, but I am not willing to accept that I am only passing through this land and my real home is being prepared by God? Some of you have been on the threshold of this decision for way too long. And God is just waiting. What are we afraid of? Uncertainty, impossibility, boredom. On one of those famous mission trips, we were in Nicaragua one time, and we always try to have one day where we do something fun. Fun. And I'm overhearing the leaders talk about some fun things we can do. And one of the, I don't even know who, because I was just really quiet at this moment. Somebody mentioned that there was this forest with huge trees, 200 feet above, where you can go ziplining in Nicaragua. And we could take the students there. And I'm thinking, what? And so now they're talking about it, and the next thing you know, it's a plan. Next thing you know, it's a deal. We go there, we pay the money, and now they're like sending groups, little by little. You know, they send like, you know, six or seven at a time. And I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go ahead and wait. Make sure everybody gets on. I'll go with the last group. I'm thinking, it's going to get dark, and I don't have to go. And so now I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm going, and I'm like in one of the very last groups, and it's getting dark. It's not fully dark yet, but it's getting dark. And all of a sudden, I'm told, come on. And I'm like, are you sure it's going to get dark? No, come on. I don't know. And I'm talking to the guy, and I'm like, "Quanto, uh, quanto pounds?" <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, "No problema, <laughs> no, no problema for you." <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, "It's a problema for me, you know." And he's going, "No, no, no problema, no problema." I'm like. Now, like, what is, what is the weight? What is the limit? The limito? The, the, what, what is it? No problema. And then he gets a harness, and he tries to put it around me. It doesn't fit, so he puts two harnesses together. And I'm thinking, no. 
And he's like, you know, he's telling me something. About, I understand enough Spanish to be dangerous. He's telling me something about be careful about the thumb. Don't let it get stuck in there. And, and you're going to be fine. And I'm like, but, and before I could say anything, it's like, okay, good luck. And, <laughs> and now I'm going and I'm scared to death. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? And then I'm flying. And we go from one station to another station. We get off. They switch us again to the next station. And we get off and we go to another. It was amazing. And I'm like, wow, check this out. You know, this is a fake picture. But it felt like this, you know. Like you're just going through it, man. I mean, we were high up there. And I'm thinking, wow. And I remember coming in as one of the last groups, maybe even the last group. I don't remember. But I'm coming in, and all of a sudden, these guys are all down there, all the students, eh, they're taking pictures, and I'm like, ah, you know. There was a moment when I thought, Jesus, this is a good time to come, right now. But when I was done, I thought to myself, I would have missed out on a whole adventure if I let my fears get the best of me. Forty years ago, I know it sounds like a long time, God redirected my life, and I've been on the ride of a lifetime with an amazing adventure. What an adventure. And there's no turning back. Next week, three young people are going to get baptized here. Three young people have said, you know what? Yeah. Save some for next week. Three young people are saying, you know what? I'm going ziplining with Jesus. Three young people are saying, you know what? I'm, uh, I, I, I'm done with this world. This world is not my home. I want the universe to know whose side I'm on. I'm going with God. I've been liberated. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Would you stand with me right now? As sons and daughters of God, stand with me and let's sing about this wonderful freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Blessed Father, thank you for rescuing us and making us your sons and daughters. Lord, may we look for that better, better heavenly city, Lord. Help us to let go of the grip, Lord. And we may find freedom and joy in the place you have prepared for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.